This is First Person, a Cohiso Media podcast. Journalist and author Marianne Tam discovers what's really going on behind some very everyday-looking front doors. For more information and to subscribe for free, go to firstpersonpod.com. Ordinary people. You sit on your knees, you get up from your knees, there's no tables and chairs, you're forever using your body. Extraordinary. 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 Lives. 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 Extraordinary lives. The Sangoma just screams at you and don't give me that fake ancestor. First. First. First person. First person. First person. My friends were all right with it, but my two brothers don't speak to me. This time, Annelie DeVette. A Saturday afternoon in the suburbs. At number 22, someone's mowing the lawn. At number 36, they're in the middle of watching the game. At number 47... (laughs) The owner is doing what she does. This is Anneli DeVette, and today, actually, she's not okay. She's on crutches. The guys bring me some buckets of water, yes. and I, I bath. Well, why did you just pass in the bathroom? Uh, it's a bit difficult to get in and out. Uh, okay. Bathing on a chair in the garden hasn't always been Annelie's thing. She used to be, her words, a corporate princess. Regular job, regular life. Until one day, 13 years ago, all that began to change. I had an encounter here um, on a particular day. It was 10 October 2003. With A, a, a woman was walking along Lisbeth Parkway and to, towards that side with a lot of parcels. And I felt compelled to actually pick her up. It's not as if she was really wanting anything from me. I said to her, can I give you a lift to where we go? And she said yes, but she was full of animosity. And in a way, it wasn't like she needed white South Africa. So I I took her to where I thought she, whatever, it became very confused. She couldn't find her way, and I eventually had to drop her. That story repeated. I felt compelled when I came back to go and look for her. And that went on the whole day, and I kept on finding her at different spaces. Found her about four times. Of course, eventually she wanted to hit me with a bottle, because, you know, I was, like, essentially harassing her. The last time that I saw her, she was coming down Klipfontein, which means, in a way, she was walking a huge circle around around my house, whatever that may mean. I, by that stage, I also realized something's happening to me. My consciousness is shifting. I don't know what's going on. And I phoned someone, and they explained to me I might go into the process of Tuasa, and I'm burning Pepu and ground myself. But so wait, uh, how did you know about Pepu and Ukutuasa? Because, I mean, you know, you know, white South Africans don't know anything. I, I, I knew a little bit, uh, yeah. rud- absolutely rudimentary okay. knowledge about it. My last interaction with her, because I the, the penny started dropping. and and, and Was wha- she a homeless sort of person? No. No. This is the whole thing that I'm trying to was say. She she was she a lost person? I don't even think so. All right. Okay. It, it, was, it was very difficult to ascertain what was going on. She was looking for her children. She says her husband stole them. Okay. But she was fully within her wits. She was completely focused. So she was doing something very focused. 
any case, she um, filled with animosity. She, she said to me, you must go now. <laughs> it was stuff like that. And that one day she spit, it was like spitting it to me. It, it almost fell on the seat next to us. My father was a white man. I realized that something is shifting for me. And by the end of the day, I realized it's not white South Africa helping black South Africa, which is the, the paradigm that we always work in. It is black Africa helping white South Africa now. This is what, what is happening. I realized that. So you think you might have the calling to embark on the process of Ukutwaza, the training to become a Sangoma. Let's assume for a moment that you're up for the idea. What do you actually do? I first went to, to, to attend the ceremony there and to, to speak to them. You can't just go. I mean, they had to diagnose me, and they diagnosed me as having... A mad white person. They're so little interested in, in white people there. Yes. That's, that's the refreshing thing. I mean, I never got the feeling that I was white there. Yeah. I, was, I was treated like anyone else. I was ignored. I was, they just see a bundle of energy or spirit or whatever, and that's what they deal with. They're not interested in my whiteness. They're interested in what's my path, where are you going? And they'll tune me about my path. So what was your path? What did they say? No, well, they said I must definitely come back and train. Okay. To, to so ascertain. they said, you, Anneli Devet, must become a Sangoma. What is your Kosa name? What is your, your... This was now in Ponduland. Yes. I trained in two traditions. The name was Zanamvula, which means the one who comes with the rain, because as I went, it was raining all the way, so I, I got this lovely name. You know what awaited you? No, I have no idea. So tell us what awaited you. Boot camp. You sit on your knees, you, you get up from your knees to do something, you go and sit on your knees, there's no tables and chairs, you're forever using your body. The whole day you're using your body very, very strongly. I mean, people living there, I would say, are as fit as, as world-class athletes. I had real bush training. You had to get get up seriously early in the morning. You had to go and fetch wood. You know, you you, you walk up and down its its hills and with a long knife that can't really cut anything. And you chop wood and you carry it back on your head and you cook medicines and you uh, you have to serve the medicines to something. So all of that stuff happens without running water and electricity. So and how are you and, communicating? In what language are you communicating? Well, there were two t- uh, Sangoma couple. And you, you call them Mama and Dada in that tradition. Mama could speak English um, to some extent. Dada, not really. But Dada, as you get to know him, you you understand the vibration. <laughs> you get what he means. And I was basically, in a way, almost told not to learn the language because I'm too cerebral. I've got to cool down sit down, shut up, watch, look, communicate with your heart. So that's what I did there for eight months. She loved it. After all, she was called to do it. This was her destiny, wasn't it? It was hell. I didn't know whether I wanted to die or live. I didn't know how I'm going to do it, how, how long is this still going to go on for, how is it, what, what am I doing? But as I got fit... Things changed completely. I mean, then going, running down to, to the water hole and fetching a bucket of water for tea became like being back in the suburb and switching the kettle on. Fabulous idea. Just what we need. Yeah, I'm going to make a pot of tea. Yeah, no, do, uh, was I telling you where the tea is? I'll find it. I think I'll find it. Uh, 
I was very happy that you know as I say that that was a really grounding experience to be in in a in a in a pre-industrial um, environment to see uh, something about basic life forces that that's unadulterated by uh, lots of possessions and things. If you compare a house like this to a hut, and we're not speaking poverty. We sp- we're speaking close to the earth or away from the earth. A house like this is totally away from the earth because there's, there's too many things in it. Getting closer to the earth and away from things, deep down we probably all realise that's exactly what we should be doing. It might not involve becoming a twaza though. Did she cause a stir? My friends were all right with it, but my two brothers don't speak to me. They, um, they, they can't deal with it. Really? What did they say? We just don't understand this. It's, uh... No, that would have been nice if they said that. Okay. I had to point out to, in, this, in the brief conversation that we had is that you actually don't understand it. Everything that you're saying to me or whatever you are trying to say to me is you've been picking up stompish. You actually are not speaking from any, any practical experience. You don't know one sangoma. There's a way in which we were not that close or communicating. There's an interesting thing I wanted to suggest, and I don't know whether you can answer this here. I think I know quite a few white South Africans who've become Sangomas. And apart from the one reason for it being that you dream it and that it must happen, that you must ukutwaza, and you found yourself in this other woman's Path. But I also wonder if it's not a way for white South Africans to find a sense of belonging mm. that you can't find any other way. It could be that. Um, it, it is that pre-primal stuff that, 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 that interests me. And that then co- takes you back to the land. It's a way of being on the land again and the voice of the land and let the land or the earth speak to you. I didn't finish in that tradition. I, I somehow couldn't get the right dreams and stuff. It, it didn't, that didn't happen. And eventually I decided to, to, to come back. What do you mean the right dreams? You've got to, in, in that culture, you have, to, uh, you have to dream about your goat that's going to be slaughtered for your first initiation. And after that, you have to dream your cow that you're going to, uh, also it's going to, you, you've got to dream it where it is and what it looks like and so on. Those white beads and the red beads, yes. yes. Do you have to wear them all the time? Well, they can't go off because they... Really? Yeah, I mean, look, there's no clips. Some people do have clips, but... In the Polu and Kloza tradition, when you start, it's white clothing and white beads, and then it changes to red and, and so on, and it's a little bit different in, in, in other traditions. I was mostly in, in my white clothes and beads, because it, it also it contained me in that space of trying to, 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 to finish this thing. So people would see you in the street, uh, Kosa people would know that you are busy. They would know, it's too fabulous. And they would um, leave you? No, they encourage you. They, they all, they, oh man, I would be in town and guys standing up in high heavens on scaffolding would scream to me, Siavoma! You know, we agree with you, we, we're behind you. And so you get incredible encouragement uh, from from black people as you as you go on, of course, white people don't even see you. Yes, often. I just think you're they've a got, mad white got, person. Even if you've got white people, don't know this. Even if you uh, the, the beads in in civic clothes, um, 
a friend of mine was completely gobsmacked the other day when I when I went to hospital and the the guy Tokoziza at me. And she said to him, how do you know she's a Sangoma? What do you mean Tokoziza? What's that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's how you say hello to somebody. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's in a particular tradition. Okay. That's, yeah. Okay. So, and I've I've told her numerous times these beads are Sangoma beads, but she she didn't make any connection with it. She didn't and, and he it. said he said to her because she's got the beads. You know? <laughs> so here we have Anli, who, for want of a better term, is only half finished. No dreams, no fully fledged Sangoma status. She decides that she needs to complete her training in the Swazi tradition. Stay with me here. Which means, because it's Anli, that she bumps into a Swazi Sangoma who can help her. Where else? But while she's out shopping. Here comes the Sangoma of the escalator, and I mean, it's pick and pay is at the bottom. At the top is, is, is a coffee shop, and I mean, I've now seen her half an hour ago in the street and greeted her. And she comes up, and I go back to her, like, she says, oh, I'm on the wrong place, I want to go to pick and pay. So I'm pick and pay, not here, I can assure you. All right, so I went with her to her house. A, a lot of stuff opened up for me under her tutelage, but she wasn't, she was actually not finished with the training, and I realized she was a gate opener. I, I actually realized that very fast, and I said to my ancestors, now what now? They said, just said to me, deal with that later, just go with it. Her when you space. said your ancestors said go with it, did you, like, did you hear, I mean, like, how do you hear your ancestors? Don't you ever hear voices? Uh, or impressions? Feelings? A mixture of voice, audio, a mixture of feeling, a mixture of image. No, I have that's, that's what it is. I have an inner instinct about something so yeah so but okay how does that present to you that instinct what, oh you, you mean you mean you know yeah, well, you, it's, it's you know, an talking in my head to it's myself exactly yeah okay yes that's what but it those is. are my thoughts i think that's fine yeah okay so it <laughs> might got, not you, be. You, you've got a genetic heritage yeah, maybe yeah. maybe your thoughts Okay. It's a it's a composite thought. Okay. You know, it's not who are you in any case. Yeah, that's you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, who yeah. are you? The Sangoma on the escalator led Anneli to someone who could finish her off. And so off she went to Quatema, which is near Springs, in case you were wondering. The Swazi tradition is, is, is quite intense in its application of medicine and rituals and so on, very, very on point. You, your second day after you land there, they put you under what they call a sheet, they cover you, they smoke you out, they start beating the drums, they, then your ancestor has to come up through you to come and declare why are you there, what is it that the ancestor wants you to do and what is the story. There's a, a, a possession technique that you work on that you have to refine. Um, that's the, the guttural, very bodily expression thing where you uh, call your ancestor. And it, 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 start, it, it, it happens in a particular voice as well. Everyone has its own ancestral voice. Everyone's body has a tone or your, your psyche has a tone. So you speak and you call in that tone. They give you specific wording for it in which you express it. get up three o'clock in the morning there and you have to start with it immediately you have to go into that space and it's very intense you know you you sweat and shake and and you 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 push that voice and you you really try and align I can tell you now if you don't align yourself in, with that inner energy the sangoma just screams at you and, don't give me that fake ancestor 
because you you can actually hear it when someone is trying to fake this this inner energy and they're not true to it. When I realized that my ancestors are white and that they must have been German. Well, I'm sorry, but that's like quite obvious because you are white. But, I mean, you know, I know I sound like a fool when, when I say stuff like that. The only way I can explain it to you is I had no idea what an ancestor is. I come from a very broken family. You know, my parents were free state farmers. They lost the farm when I was very young. We moved to, to the city. It was never, I, I had very little talk in my family of family members or of what happened before or who is who. I, I, I don't think I had any. I, it's almost like there was a weird amnesia. I essentially left the family. I haven't spoken to my brothers for 15 or whatever X amount of years. Not contact with my cousins, nieces, everything. So for me, the whole thing of family and ancestral pasts, it was irrelevant to the life that I had to forge for myself. I think especially as a gay person, what do you do with fucking family as a gay person? Because you know they're going to hate you. Sometimes that process can go on for two weeks, three weeks. It drives Sangomas completely crazy. And then they send the person home. They say, no, you don't have an ancestor. <laughs> don't worry about it. In, in my case, it's been so long suppressed. It's been, I think, it's the only way I can look at it, that it, it just came up immediately. And what came up for me was Jacobus de Wet. He lived somewhere in the late 1600s. There was sort of something a bit foggy about, I have a place, but I don't have a place. I have a farm, but I don't have a farm. And so I'm not really attached to it. And I travel around a lot uh, with people of other cultures. And I've seen a lot of bloodshed and warfare. And I want to, to have an end to that now. I want to have some form of reconciliation. Someone said to me, how do you know it's real? And I said, well, how do you know anything is real? How do you ascertain it? Um, and I said, it comes up in my imagination, and I, and I trust it. I don't put the imagination into the coal room in the back of my yard and say, okay, I'm going to scrutinize the shit out of you, you know, see if you are real or not. I take my imagination as real, you know. So, but in the West, we've been educated to mistrust your imagination. Ah, that is just your imagination. I don't have those words, it's just your imagination. For me, when someone says it's my imagination, I become very interested. I can't wait for that compost. Can you trace this ancestor? Always white people. Black people will never ask you, can, can you trace this ancestor? Never! Ever, ever, they said, where was this whatever? Da, da. Never in the world. They just, you've got... Yeah, like, we're suspicious of you, everything. You, you we want the you, papers. You, you, you've got to... Bring the papers. Bring the papers. Exactly. So for two years, you know, so people ask you then, have you traced this ancestor? And I said, no, I have no interest to trace it. I've done the experience. It's good enough for me. 
I'm working this thing as an African person, and in the African uh, custom, that's enough. Aha, but the papers. The papers, in fact, were due to make an appearance, and it started with the search for a house to buy. I never knew this area, and I drove past on the big road over there, and it, it was like a presence that slapped me. Well, it's a little, I'm being a little bit dramatic now, but my head did turn very sharply into this area, and I, I exclaimed, and I said, what on earth is going on there? And then, of course, I drove in, yeah, into this area and walked around here a lot and sort of by the evening saw this place and it was for sale. And I just thought, uh, 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 okay, all right, this, this, this looks like it. This is, a, this is the farmhouse. So I woke up in the middle of the night, exclaimed, I, mean, I don't really work with God, but my exclamation was, God wants me to buy that house! There was a whole drama with this house of restoration always, and I was really working very hard on it, and I was tired, and I started feeling mad that particular day. Now, I mean, as I, as I said before, I've uh, sometimes having a solitary life, I wasn't scared of madness because I, I can always trace it, and that day I couldn't trace it. I just started going down and down and down and down, and there was something around the house as well, and... Eventually, by three o'clock, I kind of found myself in front of the computer typing into these genealogy sites, Jacobus de Vet. So, lo and behold, there comes up the, f the first de Vet came to South Africa from Holland, of course, 1692. So I thought, okay, this is all very interesting. So at least there was like a de Vet around that time. I read further. My God, he had a farm like right here on the Lisbeck River. I'm more or less on the banks of the Lisbeck River, and his farm was here in that time. Then I read further, and old Jacobus' first son was an illegitimate son. He didn't want to marry the, the wife, married another woman, had eight children. Uh, and of course, they must have all been here on the farm, sort of story. But the illegitimate one was also Jacobus de Vet. And then there's a few inscriptions about him saying that he was very restless and that he constantly went to the border wars, up and down. That day, I phoned my Kubela and I said, what did that Jacoba say? She said, he said something that he's got a farm, but he doesn't have a farm, and he's traveling up and down, and he's seen a lot of warfare. I said, oh, yes, it's because this is now what I'm reading. You know, this sounds like suspiciously similar. As much as these things work, or whatever it is, I guess Jacobus wanted a piece of his farm. And that's how I landed here, because I was compelled to buy this place. And it was my farmhouse right from the beginning. Whatever his paper trail, well done to Jacobus for turning up, because it meant that with her new Swazi Sangoma in Quatema, Anneli could continue her journey. In fact, arrive at her destination. That Sangoma completed me because she could. <laughs> also because she could speak Afrikaans, which meant that I, I, I could work in a meaningful way with I find that really that. interesting around your mother tongue, that you were required to channel that ancestor in his mother tongue and in your mother tongue, and that the Sangoma who's 
taking you on the path understood Afrikaans. I talk about it, the coincidences of fate or fateful coincidences, which I think is a nice amalgamation of this thing that people say, oh, it is just coincidence, that just word, it's just coincidence. You know, a lot of Songomas, they will dream things and then reality reflects it. I'm not such a hard dreamer on that, but as I say, for me, I get something in my mind or whatever, and then, then it kind of manifests in reality. So a lot of that stuff does happen to me. Uh, it may be happening to everyone. Um, I like to pay attention to it because I'm interested in the psyche, so I, I look at it. I don't think it's always lucky or happy when, when those things happen. I think sometimes just shit that happens, you know, and it's, it happens to coincide and I or whatever. Often that a lot of the stuff is indifferent. It is, yeah. and that's an interesting subject. Jeez, we have to talk about this at some stage. Yeah. Is, is the universe indifferent or is it not? Okay, let's stay focused on the matter at hand. It wasn't just her language skills that made Anneli Sangoma tailor-made. She also happened to have twice had a lot of gay Sangomas. She says she, she doesn't know why, she's just always had gay people congregate around her. When the first ceremony happened, after a while I realized, I said, God, these are all gay Sangomas. You know, well, what do you mean, how, well, did they, did they, were they no. dancing? Were they like, well, but someone, someone, some, ordering yeah, interesting cocktails? Well, how can you tell? No, you, well, of course you can tell, for God's sake. No, man, gay guy at a Sangoma gathering, I don't know if it works there. Well, a lot of the men did mince. Well, uh, there we go. I was waiting for that. Sure. Were there women there? Were there yeah, like raging dykes? On, uh, well, I, I think there were couples there. That, that's Obviously, they were together as couples, so you could see it. And I think then, then I realized this is now what's cooking on it. And all my couples. <laughs> I was fucking gobsmacked. Being gay myself, I was gay. Yes, no, well, I mean, yeah, she, she wasn't. She thought, oh, God, here comes another one. Exactly. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like my job. Exactly. Uh, but, but is there an abnormal number of gay people who are called to become Sangomas? Because if so, then we must interrogate this. It's very difficult for me to comment on the numbers, but it does seem as if there's quite a number of gay Sangomas, yes. You see, because I could, I could be a white Western person, very rational, and, and say to you, and you know what I'm going to say. It's a way of finding acceptance, just like you, as a white Afrikaans gay woman, and are now a Sangoma, and that gives you a kind of neutral identity. Yeah, but you'll have, to, you'll have to spell out your analysis for me as to how that happened. Do you think it's a premeditated thing that you think, okay, I'm going to fake being having a calling? Or is this all unconscious and you no, orchestrate you, you might it say to, You might say to someone you love very much, listen, I've got this weird thing, I like this other girl, but I'm a girl. So like, and and your, your, you know, the family member might say, oh, yeah, we've hundreds of you guys in our family. It's because you're channeling Jacobus. You are actually a man. You're Jacobus. Yeah, yeah, that is the way they would handle it because I actually yes. had a traditional marriage to a woman. You did? Yes. No, I mean, really. I didn't no, know at, at my initiation year, um, the German girlfriend was also here and my Kubela said to me, listen, the two of you can't hang around like that around each other without any ceremonial officiation and whatever. She says, people are talking. So I said, well, what, what, what must we do? She said, well, you, you need to get married or something. One of the men there became very enamored with my then spouse. It was funny for a while, and then I said to Gogo I said to her, 
it's now getting to now. You better deal for this situation. I don't feel it. I'm getting irritable. She called him over. She said, listen, those two are married. You must now stop meddling with them. He said, no, shit, you're talking nonsense. No, 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 whatever. No, she said, really, you, you're out of sync here. Go and ask everyone here, because a lot of the people and the young people, the drummers, they were on my ceremony here. He went around to all of them, and they just all said, yes, they are married. So it, it was the most accepted moment that I had in my life. In what would be t- traditionally in many people's eyes would be seen as now a male macho heterosexual environment. Like, absolutely nothing made of it. And so here we have it. The white Sangoma in the middle of suburbia. Happy, renewed, and not yet quite at her destination. In the West, we very disembodied, you know, we sit behind computers and we try to be objective about everything. And of course, if you try to be objective about everything, you're probably dealing with, I don't know, maybe 10% of reality because probably only about 10% of reality is objective or objectifiable. A lot of it happens in the unconscious. We sort of try and relegate that with some form of rationality, but I mean, a lot of it is actually nonsense. You know, we're also directed by our stomachs and by our hunger and by our ecological connection. So what the Sangoma therapy does, it's, it's taking that subjectivity and when you have to enact, you actually have to take yourself as a subjective being serious in that enactment because you're going to do a very individual thing now. You're actually in shit because you have to express yourself not as a sort of a standardized clone of... Uh, Western behavior patterns, you actually have to break that and become an individual with your own voice, with your own thoughts. You can get mental knowledge, you can read books or whatever, but insight happens in an enacted form where the light in your unconscious goes on and you have a personal experience of reality, outer reality and inner reality. The two of them meet and that is in a way almost enlightenment. So what are we to do with white South Africans in this country who are causing so much cuck at the moment? The Send ferrets. them all to the trans guy to... They can't twasa because they don't have the calling, but we will have regimes like that for them so that they can all go and enact and become embodied. They must all go and live for at least two months in a village and carry water and chop wood and sweep the floor and make the fire and be there. Okay. Okay. First Person is a Kahiso Media podcast. For more information and to subscribe for free, go to firstpersonpod.com or find us on iTunes. If you'd like to advertise around the podcast, then email firstperson at kahisomedia.co.za.